How do you know? This is a question that we ask from childhood, and it's really worth thinking about. How do we know what we know? That is what we're talking about today. This is Worldview Legacy, the show that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekes, and I'm here to help you, the Christian layman, to build a legacy so that you, your kids, and your wife will be able to confidently answer the world's questions from the Bible, and as you do, you will see Jesus change lives as you share your faith. Today, we're looking at Acts 17, 10 through 15, to answer the question, how can we know that what we know is the truth? Or in other words, what is the divine standard of truth? Now, building a worldview legacy as a Christian man means that you need to have a solid standard by which you can judge the various beliefs that you hold, the different elements of your worldview. There is only one foundation which, when we turn to it, God commends us. In today's passage, we're actually going to see that God considers us noble when we do this. Now, the audio for today's episode comes from a sermon that I preached at Cross of Christ Fellowship in Naperville, Illinois. If you're looking to become better able to articulate why doctrines like Sola Scriptura are so important and why the Bible alone must be the final authority in the Christian life, or if you just want to better understand what's going on in this passage of Acts, this episode is going to be for you. Specifically, you're going to learn about the absolute necessity of having a solid standard of truth, the three qualities that a standard of truth must have, how the Bible has those qualities, and how the acronym ACT, or ACT, can help you understand and articulate why the Bible is the perfect divine standard of truth. If you enjoy this, you need to know about our Learning Fellowship, the Hammer and Anvil Society. The next class is going to be on family discipleship, how to lead your family in the Christian worldview using the Bible, and you can get access to tons of resources, exclusive video trainings, and weekly cohort calls and challenges with other brothers. You're not going to be able to find this stuff anywhere else, and the fellowship, the Hammer and Anvil Society, is based on the three values of brotherhood, biblical soundness, and boldness. I'll tell you how you can join at the end of this episode. How do you know? That's a question that we ask from childhood. And even as adults, or if you're, if you're a child, it's, it's worth considering, it's worth thinking about. How do we know what we know? How do we know that what we think we know is really true? This is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, well, I really appreciate the invitation to come back here to Cross of Christ. Uh, I love being with you guys, and uh, it's such an honor. My name is Joel Sedekes. And my wife, Elisa, and I, along with our four children, are members of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I serve with the Think Institute, which is a ministry that equips regular believers to become worldview leaders, to articulate, share, and defend their faith. And last week, Pastor Tom taught from Acts 17, and he talked about how true Christianity, when it's really lived out, turns the world upside down. Today, we're going to talk about the role of the Bible in that real Christianity. 
So, if you don't have your Bibles open yet, please do turn to Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. If you're using one of the house Bibles, it's on page 871. And before we dive in any further, would you please pause with me and let's pray and ask God's guidance on our time. Lord, would you please open our eyes so that we may perceive wonderful things in your instruction. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, let me tell you a story. Every day, a certain man used to walk by a jewelry store on his way to work. And as he passed the jewelry store, he would set his watch by the great big clock that was in the window of the jewelry store. And one day, the jeweler happened to be standing in the doorway, and he stopped the man and greeted him in a friendly way and said, my friend, I see that you set your watch by my clock every day. What is your job that you have to have such precision and what is your job that demands such a correct time of of day each day? And the man said, well, I'm the watchman at the plant down the street. My job is to blow the five o'clock whistle every day. And the jeweler was startled and he said, but you can't do that. I set my clock by your whistle. (laughs) What was their problem? They didn't have an absolute standard that would tell them what time it was. And you can imagine the problems that would come from that. Without a trustworthy standard, they didn't really know the truth. And they didn't know that they knew the truth at all. They needed a standard. And today we're talking about our our need for a standard, and we're going to talk about our standard. Our passage today is going to show us an example of people who used that standard, who loved that standard, followed the standard, and they arrived at truth. And other people who hated the standard and opposed the standard and went far astray. Why do we need this passage today? We need this passage because we live in the information age, and we have more information that anyone has ever had in human history. And yet, trust in that information is at an all-time low. It is harder than ever to separate truth from error, isn't it? How do you know if that thing, that picture you saw on the internet really is real or if it was AI generated? In addition to that, biblical learning and biblical literacy is at an all-time low as well, even among professing Christians. Recent data from the Arizona Christian University found this, 69% of Americans claim to be Christians. They say that they are Christians, and yet their beliefs are far from biblical. 58%, get this, 58% contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being. 57% embrace the concept of karma, which doesn't even come from Christianity at all. Now, according to Barna Research, despite what people claim, only about 4% of Americans actually have a biblical worldview. We are not getting our beliefs, by and large, from the Bible. So if we're not getting our beliefs from the Bible, where are we getting them from? The answer is everywhere else. We take in a lot of messages every day. If you were to examine the the messaging that you take in every day, here's what you might find. You probably see about 100 advertisements every day. 
I think that number is a little bit low, personally. You also see various social media posts. You're probably listening to podcasts, as Pastor Tom just mentioned. You're taking in news headlines, reading articles, streaming TV shows and movies, whether by yourself, with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, watching sports games. Um, and then you're having conversations with neighbors, coworkers, people that you come into contact with. And then not only that, but there's your own feelings and your own intuitions, things that seem right to you. That's a lot of messaging. Now, are all those things wrong? Wait a minute. I know what you think I'm about to say. You think I'm about to say, no, of course not. Some of them are very good. But wait a minute. How do we know? How do you know whether all of them are right or wrong? Maybe they're all right. Maybe they're all wrong. How are you going to tell? Or are you going, are, are we just stuck in a situation like the, um, the watchman at the plant and the jeweler where they didn't have a standard? Or do we have a standard? That's the question that faces us. We need a standard of truth. And that is what we're talking about today from this passage. I'm so glad that Moises read that passage for us. And here is the big idea that I believe that God has for us this morning. We test for truth by searching the scriptures. I'm going to say that again. We test for truth by searching the scriptures. The Bible, the scriptures, two names for the same thing. The Bible is our standard because the Bible has three qualities that we need if we're going to have a standard of truth. Now, there's an easy way to remember what these qualities are. What book of the Bible are we in right now? X, right? So if you can remember act, you can remember the three qualities that the Bible has. A, C, T. You ready for them? A, authority. The Bible has authority. We're going to talk about that. C, clarity. The Bible is clear in teaching what you need it to believe. We're going to talk about that as well. And T, truth. If it's going to be a standard of truth, what it teaches must be true. And the Bible has that quality of truth. It is true. So now let's walk through our text together and let's see what's going on. Now remember, we test for truth by searching the scriptures. Okay, look with me at verse 10. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So the first thing that happens is that Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica, where they had been, where they had been preaching, and they'd faced opposition. And leaving Thessalonica made them sad. Think about the last time you had to leave some friends or send friends who were visiting from out of town home. Or maybe you were visiting family somewhere else and you had to go home. Remember that, that pain you felt in your heart? When am I going to see them again? That's what Paul's experiencing here. And we know that this is the case because he writes about it. In 1 Thessalonians 2.17, which is a letter that he's writing to those believers in Thessalonica, he expresses how much he longed to be with them but had to be torn apart from them. So Paul is sad. There's a lot of emotion in this passage. And no doubt he was missing them as he was walking from Thessalonica to Berea, which was about a 17-hour walk. That's, that's a good day's walk, maybe two days' walk. And I know it's 17 hours. I did verify it on Google Maps. Yes, Berea, Berea is still a real place to this day. Berea was historically a very powerful city. Under the Greek Empire, Berea was a very powerful city. Under the Roman Empire, it got folded into the culture and the civilization of Rome, and it had become a center of worship under the Roman Empire, and it became 
one of the capitals for the province of Macedonia. So Berea was a, a, not a huge megacity like Rome or something like that, but it was a, a powerful city. It had a lot of heft, a lot of weight. And in Berea, there was also a Jewish settlement. Now, the Jews had been exiled from their homeland 500 years prior to this, more or less. And because of that, they had set up outposts. In, they, they were scattered, and they, were, they set up outposts in these different cities throughout the empire. And one of those cities was Berea. And as they often did, they set up a synagogue there. So there was a, a small, tight-knit Jewish community there in Berea. They had a synagogue. And as Paul often did when he went to a new place, he made a beeline for the synagogue. These are people who already had the scriptures, and he wanted to meet with them, he wanted to teach them, and he wanted to appeal to the scriptures that they were studying on Sabbath every, every Saturday. So this is what Paul and Silas do. And then in verse 11, we learn something amazing. Look at verse 11. I love this verse. Now the Jews, now these Jews were more what? They were more what? Noble. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why do I say this is amazing? Because we are learning God's assessment of the Berean Jews. We're learning what God's opinion is of them. You say, well, wait a minute. How do you know this is God's opinion? Okay, this passage, this book is written by Luke. But all scripture is breathed out by God. And Profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. So all scripture is from God. Now, there's no qualifier here that says, you know, people thought of them as being more noble. It just says they were more noble. So that means that this passage being breathed out by God is telling you what God thinks of the Bereans. God himself calls them noble. That is pretty cool. Can you imagine having God call you noble? Now, what does this word noble mean? Well, Taken in its most simple form, the word noble means born of high standing. We think of the aristocracy, the dukes, the lords, the, the um, earls of, of old. But the word noble also has another connotation, doesn't it? It can mean noble-minded, someone who is fair-minded, someone who is open to ideas, someone who is a good thinker, someone, someone who is judicious in their reasoning. This would be someone who's noble. And this is what Luke is getting at and what the Lord wants us to understand about the Bereans. They were noble-minded. Well, what made them noble-minded? It says that they received the word with all eagerness. And they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Ooh, I love this. They searched the scriptures. This is what God thinks is noble. And it says they didn't just search the scriptures while they were sitting for the teaching in their synagogue. They searched the scriptures every day. That is noble. That's what God thinks is noble. Because they understood something very important that we must understand as believers. Every believer has the right and the responsibility of private judgment. Every believer has the right and the responsibility of private judgment. We have to test every message that we hear. We can't just take it for granted that someone is telling us the truth because they seem like an authority or they have degrees after their name or even they've been to seminary or they've got this degree or that degree or they're wearing a white lab coat. 
We have the right and the responsibility to privately judge what people are telling us. Now, Paul had authority, didn't he? Paul was a straight-up apostle. He was sent out by Jesus himself, by the resurrected Lord Jesus. Paul had authority, but even that wasn't enough for the Bereans. The Bereans said, Paul, if you want me to believe what you're teaching, you've got to show me in the word of God. We're going to search the scriptures and see if these things are true. And this is what God views as noble. God wants us, God wants you, God wants me to search the scriptures, to test for truth. You know what's really cool? Truth has nothing to fear from this kind of searching. Truth has nothing to fear from great questions, hard questions, searching the scriptures to test and see if it's true. Like the Bereans, we must and we can, we get to search the scriptures to test for truth. Now, as a result, what happened? They searched the scriptures, they were committed to the scriptures, and in verse 3, we find out what happened. It says, many of them, therefore, believed. They believed the gospel. And here's where it gets really interesting. It wasn't just the Jews. It wasn't just the Jewish believers. It says it was also Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now here we see the gospel is being preached and accepted as good news, not just to Jewish people who had the Old Testament, but also to the Gentiles as well. This is groundbreaking. This is amazing. This means that the message of the gospel is open to everybody. And it would have been great. This would have been a wonderful ending to our story. If that was all that happened, Paul could have moved on from there, ridden off into the sunset after a few years of preaching and teaching. But that's not what happened. Because after Paul carries out this mission, he faces opposition. In verse 13, we read about the opposition. It says that the Jews from Thessalonica, and you heard about them last week, right, Pastor Tom? We talked about how they were complaining that the disciples were turning the world upside down. Those same Jewish people... Those same Jewish leaders who opposed Paul in Thessalonica, they came over to Berea. Why? Because they learned that the word of God was being proclaimed by Paul in Berea as well. So they came and they stirred up the crowds. They agitated the crowds. This word for agitate, it creates the picture. I want you to imagine a roiling sea and a storm and the, the waves foaming and frothing, all kinds of confusion and fear. This is what they came to stir up there in Berea, and that's exactly what happened. And they were especially out to get Paul, weren't they? They heard that the word of God was being proclaimed, but not by Silas, not by Timothy, but by Paul in particular. Why were they so out to get Paul? Well, if you know Paul's backstory, you know that they used to call him Saul, and that Paul, by training, was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he called himself. And he used to actually preach against the gospel, preach against the church, and persecute the church. But now he's been radically saved by Jesus Christ, and now he's preaching the very gospel he used to oppose. And so these Jews in Thessalonica, they were salty about that. They were angry about that. They didn't like it. And so they expressly came to Berea to persecute Paul. He had been one of them, and they viewed him as a traitor. So what did they do? They came and they likely accused him of the very same thing they did in Thessalonica, which was rebellion against Caesar, against the emperor. Paul was not preaching rebellion against Caesar. He was preaching Jesus as Lord, but he wasn't teaching people to rebel, but they lied about him. They, they accused him. 
So what does Paul do? In verses 14 and 15, he allows himself to be sent out, and we read that he leaves Berea, and the men who accompanied him, we don't know their names, it's likely, we don't know this for sure, but it's likely that they took him by sea down to Athens from this point. It's likely they took him by sea because that would have been a 250-mile walk from Berea down to Athens. It just doesn't seem like he made that journey on foot. He probably went by sea. doesn't really matter one way or the other, but it's just interesting to think how he was conducted down to Athens. And while he was in Athens, the, his escorts, they left him there in Athens, and he sent them with an urgent message for Timothy and Silas to, go, uh, to come to him as soon as he could. And now Paul found himself for the very first time in his missionary journeys completely alone. What happens next, you'll have to find out next week. <laughs> little cliffhanger for you. Now, this passage was written by Luke, and the original readers who, who would have read this passage in Acts, they would have learned several things from it. First of all, it explains some details on the spread of the church. Uh, why did Paul leave Thessalonica when he loved the Thessalonians so much? It's because he was opposed. How did the gospel get to Berea? How did the gospel get to Athens? This passage explains that. And it also shows how the gospel was able to spread in those early years despite all the opposition, despite the, the vehement persecution that Christians faced. Paul preached, and they persecuted him. He then went to another city where he preached. They came, they persecuted him, and he moved on. This is the pattern that God actually used to spread the gospel in those early days. And in many places in the world still to this very day, that still happens. And it showed that God himself considered the Bereans noble because they tested for truth by searching the scriptures. So this passage would have been very encouraging to the initial readers of Acts. The first people, I'm talking about the first people who read this during the early church, this would have been very encouraging for them because they were facing persecution as well. And not only that, but they were facing many false teachers. And here's the dilemma faced by Christians in that early stage, but also all the time. Christians down throughout history. If you don't have, let's say you're not an apostle, which none of us here are. Let's say you don't have access to a vast theological library. Let's say that you're not trained by seminary. You're not a pastor by training or an elder in a church. How are you supposed to know if what the preacher is preaching is true? How are you supposed to know if that video clip that shows up on the internet is actually true? How are, we, are we just lost because we don't have extensive, formal theological education? No. According to this passage, we are not lost. Because you and I have the exact same standard that the Bereans have. And it's right here. If you have God's word, you have scripture, you have the very thing that the Bereans had, which when they searched it, God called them noble. That is pretty cool. This is an incredibly encouraging passage because we can test for truth by searching the scriptures. If you have access to a Bible, you have all the standard that you need. So what does this passage mean for us today? Our situation is not so different, is it? We are faced with any number of competing messages to biblical Christianity. I'll name a few of them. I'm sure you can name many more. Secularism, the idea that God is irrelevant to public society. Progressive ideology, Islam, forms of religion that call themselves Christian but deny the gospel, false ideologies that claim to be scientific but deny the Bible's teachings. 
And on top of that, there are all the movies, music, and media that try to make false teaching so appealing to us by setting it to great special effects or a very catchy beat. Just like the original readers of this passage, and just like the Bereans, we are confronted with conflicting ideas all the time, and we need a standard that we can test for truth. And this passage reveals exactly how we can. We test for truth by searching the scriptures, just like those noble Bereans. So now let's break down those three qualities that I told you scripture has. Do you remember what they were? What were the three letters? A, C, and T. That's right. Let's talk about A, authority. The Bereans were hearing the gospel directly from Paul, who was an authority in the early church. No question about it. He was an apostle. But they did not take it for granted that he was telling them the truth. They knew that the authority of God's word, scripture, is so powerful, so strong, so authoritative, that even if an apostle came to them and told them something that conflicted or contradicted scripture, they knew scripture's right, the apostle's wrong. That is some serious authority. What about clarity? Did you pay attention to the fact that the Bereans were searching the scripture for themselves? The, the Bereans could not have done that if scripture was not clear. There's a doctrine about the Bible, a theological term about the Bible that is really important. It's called perspicuity. And perspicuity simply means clarity. Why don't we just say clarity? Why do we say perspicuity? It's because theologians love big words like that. That's the only explanation I can come up with. But the Bible is clear. Now, it's really common nowadays for people to say, listen, you've got your interpretation, I've got mine. There's no way of judging between them, sorry. But this passage blows that idea out of the water, doesn't it? The Bereans searched the scriptures, the scriptures were clear, they judged what they heard to be true and they believed, and God himself calls them noble. So this idea that there's no way to judge between private interpretations, just simply not true. Not according to God, not according to his word. And then finally, truth. The T. This passage teaches that scripture is true. The Bereans examined scripture, they believed the word, and God commended them for it. God would not commend you for believing in a lie. So, Scripture is true. Jesus himself said in John 10, 35, that Scripture cannot be broken. So these Bereans, they were searching for truth. They searched the Scriptures. They were testing for truth. For them, the Scriptures meant the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament. For us, it's the 39 books of the Old Testament and all the 27 books of the New Testament. God's Word is true, and God's Word is our standard. By the way, including Acts, the book we're studying right now. Kind of cool. As a nation, we are starving for truth. We've talked a lot about the messages that we receive through media, advertising, etc. But let's face it, we don't need to look outside of ourselves to find false messaging. Our own hearts have been so guilty of this. We lie to ourselves, we lie to others, we live by lies even as believers. And we do this way more than we care to admit. Every single time we choose to sin against God, it's as if we're saying, God, what you say in your word is not really true. What you say about who you are and how we should live, how the world works, it's not really true. 
My friends, we sin against the Lord every day. God has so graciously given us a standard of truth, his word, but we disobey it and we fail him. Scripture makes it clear that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says that. But we live unrighteously all the time, nonetheless. We make it clear by our actions that we do not deserve God's goodness or God himself, his grace. You know, as I was writing this part of the message, my heart really sank because I was thinking about how often I let the Lord down and I lie about who he is through my actions, my thoughts, my words. Maybe you know the feeling that I'm talking about. Maybe you can relate to that. But there's good news. There is good news, my friends. The very same Bible that is the absolute standard of truth, that teaches the same message that Paul taught, Silas taught, Timothy taught, that same Bible teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest news we could possibly imagine. In Acts 17.3, so what you heard last week, it says this, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. We deserve wrath. We deserve death. We deserve God's judgment. But the Christ, the Messiah, took that punishment on himself. Amen? And he didn't stay dead. When he died, three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And when he did, all of our sins were paid for. And the way had been paved for us to be reconciled to God. Today, Jesus rules and reigns from heaven, and he will protect you, he will guide you, he will bless you, and he will consider you noble as you walk with him and search the scriptures to test for truth. All right, now, here's why this matters when you walk out those doors. You are going to be confronted with all kinds of messaging. Today, tomorrow, the next day, you know, those Bereans were really onto something as they searched the scriptures every day. Because of Jesus Christ, you are free to face those messages head on. You do not need to fear them. You are free to test those messages for truth by searching the scriptures just like the Bereans. And you can have absolute confidence that as you test those messages by scripture... Scripture is your authoritative standard. It is your clear standard, and it is your true standard. So how do you do this in real time? How can we actually apply this? First, study the Bible. My friends, we need to be studying the Bible every day to know what it says, to know what it teaches. We need to know how the Bible answers those big questions of life. Put this into practice with your family. If you've been blessed with the family, put this into practice. Let Scripture guide which movies you watch for family movie night which books you read to them, how you educate your children and disciple them. Now, here's something you can do that's really practical. It's going to sound crazy at first. It's going to sound like it's not a lot of fun, but I promise you it is. As you're watching a movie with your family, pause it. I know, this is going to, this is going to sound terrible. Some of you are already doing this, I can tell. Pause the movie and discuss worldview themes with your kids. You might think that this makes the movie less fun. It won't for you. You're going to love this. <laughs> but, but I also bet that your children will love the chance to talk and scrutinize about what they're watching. You're giving them a leg up over what they're watching. 
So let's say you're watching Frozen and Elsa is singing her big number. You can pause the movie and say, kids, Elsa just said, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, dad. Or if you're, really, if it's my kids and they're used to this, no, dad, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's right. What else can you do? Have a time of family worship where you're taking your kids into scripture, studying God's word together. What else can you do? How about here at church? Listen to the sermon every Sunday as Pastor Tom or whoever is preaching here. Listen to it with an open Bible. Look and see if what's being preached. Tom, I know you approve of this. You want, you want the congregation to look and see if what you're saying actually lines up with Scripture. As you're heading home, discuss with your spouse and with your kids. Discuss the sermon. I love how you kids are here in the sermon. Uh, in the service during the teaching. I love that. You have a huge advantage by being here. Families have a huge advantage when the kids are in the service because you get to talk about it on your way home. Take advantage of that. Get plugged into a community group if you're not already. I know there are at least two community groups that Cross of Christ has. And share your lives together. Talk about life together and seek to share biblical truth with one another. You can do this at your workplace as well. Try to seek out other believers at your workplace and, and study the Bible together, or at least try to have a spiritual conversation once a week. Get to know the non-Christians at your workplace as well and see, see if you can prayerfully interject biblical truth into the conversations at your workplace. There are so many different things we can do to let God's word guide how we spend our time. And if you want to become part of a community of those who are talking about biblical themes and ideas, I know you can, you can visit and become a part of Coffee and Conversations on Saturday mornings here in Naperville that, that Tom leads and, and Andrew is a part of. Um, or you can come out on the first Wednesday of every month to Pub Talk that we're doing in, in Geneva uh, with Redeemer Fellowship. You have options. That's my point. You have options. But make sure that you are searching the scriptures to test for truth. Search the scriptures for yourself. Now, if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope that you've been challenged. Because guess what? You are getting just as many conflicting and contradictory messages in your life as everyone else is. How are you judging those messages without an absolute standard? By your feelings? By your intuitions? Is that really a reliable standard for truth? How many times does your opinion change over the course of a year, a month, a week, a day? We need, you need an absolute standard of truth. And that standard is God's word. And God's word tells you that your biggest problem in life is that you need to be reconciled to God. Please don't let another day go by without hearing and believing the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and being reconciled to God. I'm inviting you to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ today. So that's what I'm saying. Is that true? Is what I'm saying true? Don't take my word for it. Test for truth by searching the scriptures, just like the Bereans. So together this morning, we've seen the need for an absolute standard. Remember the story of the jeweler and the whistleblower. We've seen how God's holy written word is that standard and how its message will continue to advance and to succeed even in the face of opposition. Nothing can stop God's word. It has the three qualities we need for an absolute standard of truth. Authority, clarity, and truth. A-C-T. 
and God wants you to use it. With his help, may we please him as we test for truth by searching the scriptures. So now you know. The reason that we must have a standard for truth is that without it, we can't really know that we know anything. A standard of truth must have authority, clarity, and truth. You can take your learning further and plug into great brotherhood and community with the Hammer and Anvil Society. I want you to learn more about this. I want you to have the opportunity to join when we start our next class, which is coming up very soon in a few weeks. And you can learn more about the Hammer and Anvil Society by going to thethink.institute slash society. Thethink.institute slash society. Again, one more time, that is thethink.institute slash society. Thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes, and is a production of the Think Institute. We are a Christian teaching and outreach nonprofit, and we are completely funded by like-minded believers like you. If you'd like to partner in the work that we're doing and further this cause of equipping regular believers to become worldview leaders, please go to thethink.institute slash partner. Thethink.institute slash partner. Until next time, set a case out.